1: Welcome to the Small Business Administration Award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion. Jim Beach.
2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It's December 8th. I hope you're having a great day making some money and going out there and taking over the world. We have a fantastic show today, two great entrepreneur stories to share with you. First up, we have Julie Rainwright. She is the founder of the real real and has started a new health company. We will learn about it in just a second. And then Dan Whaley will be with us. He allows you and his new company, uh, hypothesis to comment on any content. Wow. That would be cool. Imagine that. You read a story and you can content, or you can comment on it. I've lost my mind. We got to get started. Let's go ahead and do that. Julie Wainwright, you know her as the real real. You have probably bought, sold high-end luxury items on the site. She started it uh, over a decade ago, and it's now grown to the brand name that it is. She is now working on a new company called Ahara, which is a personalized nutrition company. She started it uh, just a year or so ago, and it already has announced $10 million in seed funding for the launch. Julie Wainwright, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. Thanks. Nice to be here.
2: So you commented that you read all of the entrepreneurship books, and you said, quote, more should be said. They're leaving something out. They're leaving out the brutal truth. What is that truth, Julie?
1: Oh, there's so many truths. Look, um, I do have a favorite book, and if people read these books, I would say The Unparalleled book for me was Shoe Dog. And what I loved about that book, I'm going to switch it up here a little and say what I love before I talk about how things can be improved. What I loved about that book, I thought I knew the story. Obviously, I didn't. Knew the brand, of course, Nike. But then it was there wasn't they weren't hitting you over the head with here's what i learned it really was taking you on the journey of creating a company and as an entrepreneur i find that much more inspiring and interesting than just saying this here are my key lessons i learned you can work the lessons in without knocking people over the head and most of the books are on the key lessons and to be honest they get redundant and it's not It's not an interesting read. And I think to be an inspire. first of all, entrepreneurs inspire me. Um, And I love reading their stories, which includes all the good things that went um, along the way and all the obstacles and how they overcame them. That's interesting. And you don't need to knock people over the head with your key learnings.
2: All right. Very true. What are some of the stories that stick out in your career and the lesson that you learned from it? Tell me a story.
1: No, You're already on the lessons learned. Look, I mean, let's, let's just talk about for a moment when I started the real, real and, um, the first year I didn't take in VC funding, it was all seed. And then I went out to raise venture capital. Now let's just talk about women and raising money. It used to be women founders got 3%. Now it's below 3% and hovering around 2% of all capital. So already you're sort of against the odds. And obviously, we don't know the top of the funnel. What I mean by that is how many women they saw, but I guarantee you it's more than 3% of the deals. So that's number one. Number two, because you're a female, and I was an older female when I started the Real Real, um, you're meeting with young young sort of white men in those cases. And those men really look at you if you're a female, either in in my case probably is like, you know, I could have been their mother in their age. And then it just, instead of looking at the business proposition, um, it just, the conversations get really, really silly and honestly demeaning. And I, I've I've never said in, I've sat in on some men pitching as sitting in in a VC, but I've never seen some of the things that we experienced when I was out raising capital Um, and really silly things. So like um, when I'm out talking about the resale market and how eBay alone doesn't authenticate, they can't handle luxury. And this young guy puts his foot on the table and he's like, see this shoe as if like, I couldn't see it. He had his foot on the table. And I'm like, sure. I see that shoe. He goes, I've had that shoe for five years. What do you think about that? I said, I don't think you're my customer. You know, it's sort of things that, you know, they're just ridiculous. Instead of treating actually anyone that comes in with a business plan with respect, starting a business is hard. Raising capital is hard. And if you've got a meeting, the best VCs and the best people in the business actually either consider it seriously or give serious feedback. But I would say those people are few and far between. So there's, but there's a lot of stories in the resale business just because of the nature of the business. Um, but every entrepreneur has their own challenges. And um, it's, having said all of that, I it's the best, it's the best gig ever. If you've got that entrepreneurial bone in your body, if and you really just take risks and get going, it's so exciting. Even when it isn't working, it's exciting and it's instructive.
2: I just want to say one thing, Julie, and I don't say this to demean your experience. I promise you that I found those people to be jerks and a-holes also. And I don't think that it was the fact that you were a woman. I think it's the fact that they're jerks and a-holes and they look down on everybody. And so...
1: Yeah, Look, you I, know, I'm not going I, to diminish yeah,
2: your story as a woman. No, no, I'm not no. To do Look, that at all. I also uh, you're found them to be right.
1: No, you're probably right. I mean, there's a huge elitist attitude. But having said that, the numbers don't lie. So there's something else going on when right. females right. go right. out to raise that. money. Yeah, that. there is something else going on. But I would say, in general, uh, especially if they've had like one success, which you know they backed one successful entrepreneur. They tend to accredit themselves with picking the right one instead of the amazing entrepreneur who probably gave up 90% of their life to make it happen over a series of years. So I'm, I'm, there is absolutely an elitism happening in the venture capital world without a doubt, but women just have a much harder time.
2: I don't know that. That's definitely true. All right. Tell us about Ahara. I have a B12 deficiency and I have hyper hyperkalemia which means I either have too much or too little potassium I can't remember which and maybe that So it. here's
1: what here's what you need to do and it's pretty simple so let me just give you the genesis of ahara during um covid started looking at all kinds of nutrition apps out there and figuring out what advice is out there because it's really so confusing and there's biohackers and there's crazy stuff going on. I thought, where is solid nutrition advice? I happen to know a medical doctor, Dr. Melina Jampolis, who changed her career a long time ago from being a medical doctor first and writing prescriptions to trying to be a preventative medical doctor and advising people on nutrition. So she is a nutrition physician uh, specialist. She's board certified. She's on multiple boards, same with the top nutritionists all over the world, of which uh, the medical doctors who have studied nutrition, there's only about 300 of them in the U.S. So her goal was to figure out how to prevent illness, not just correct it or p- put them on drugs after. The whole when I started looking but Julie, at you don't make any money that way. That's, no, but let that's me tell you a horrible model. <laughs> uh, so so what what we've done with Ahara, and we're in a um open phase right now, but the paywall is going up. So I'd encourage people it's going up very soon. We have three different levels. We have What you do is you take a health survey and there is an algorithm that then analyzes your diet and your lifestyle and any health information you put in. And it gives you a foundational report on how you should eat better. And then we have recipes that are personalized to what that report says. And on top of that, which is super cool, you can then, choose to turn that into a grocery list. We've now integrated with Instacart, have those groceries sent to your house. And when you're dining out, we have a healthy menu parser that again is mapped to your personal needs. And you scan the menu and the optimal nutritionally rich food will come up that map to what you need. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you how to fix your B12 deficiency because. If you really want to get into precision nutrition, which in your case, it sounds like it makes a lot of sense, you go to the advanced level, which is testing. And in that, we look at a genetic test, which is a nutrigenomic test. It looks at how your body absorbs nutrients from a genetic level. An epigenetic test, which then tells you how your rate of aging is and what your internal age is, which actually then harkens back to not just what your genes gave you, but how, what genes you've actually activated, which can be changed by diet and exercise. And then lastly, we have an omega and um, omega-3 test and a uh, vitamin D test. These are all at-home tests. It's one big testing bundle It costs $695, and with that, you get a detailed health report, a complete action plan, and again, your menu options are also, your recipes are there, the menu options are there. We also recommend supplements when food alone won't work, either because you don't like the food, or in fact, your body can't get enough, like vitamin D food alone uh, will not get enough vitamin D in your system, and this will help get the right dosage. So all of this gives you advanced information. And then later on, if you do want to retest, the rate of aging is probably the best test, along with the omegas and the vitamin D. And they're so critical. I have to say, last week I was speaking at a conference. Um, And this woman came up and said she spent 18 months seeing doctor after doctor, and they kept telling her she was depressed and she had um, an anxiety issue. They kept wanting to write her prescriptions. And finally, someone tested her for vitamin D, and she had a huge vitamin D deficiency and now she's been working her way up to a level but her symptoms which were all due in this case to a lack of vitamin D have completely disappeared and she would have been on heavy drugs for her in theory depression but she kept fighting back and saying I'm not depressed I don't feel depressed I have these other issues so look food what you eat is really, really important, and it's really clear one size does not fit all. The food pyramid is gone. It should be blown up, and now we can move to a level where you're actually getting precision, nutrition, information, and guidance, and that's where Ahara comes in.
2: Wow, Julie, amazing. What an incredible product and an amazing description of all of the services. They should hire you or something. Uh,
1: yeah, there you go. They could be a
2: spokesperson <laughs> or something because a uh, great explanation and uh, you make me want to do it. The six ninety five. I was thinking about that. That's very expensive. But then I also yeah. thought, what if I were to just go to the doctor and get the tests done that this would include? And first of all. You'd probably have to go to three different doctors, and then they'd make you go to the MedGen Center to get your blood drawn for two tests. And then you'd have to go to a different place for another thing, and you'd end up spending three days and $5,000 to get the same bundle. So, uh, oh,
1: easily. Patient, but, 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 but really remember, fair. oh, you know what? Honestly, remember, doctors don't really know nutrition. They just absolutely don't. So, most of them wouldn't even know how to interpret the nutrigenomics test. And then they, and honestly, there are um, different ways to measure your rate of aging. There's only one that's legitimate, and that's the methylation when they're actually looking. Um, on that blood spot. And so they may even give you the wrong test. Vitamin D, I would say most doctors do when you get a normal blood test once a year, they do say, measure, you know, they do say get your D measured. Um, and along with any inflammation markers, which a B12 would be one of the inflammation markers, but they don't measure omegas. And yet omegas are related to brain health, bone health. Um, they're pretty significant in heart health. And the, everything we're doing is science-based. So every when when I I'm saying omegas and heart health, there are probably a hundred studies that have proven that by either eating an X amount of fatty fish or consuming fish oil actually has a positive impact on your heart health. When I took the nutrigenomic test, it turns out my body doesn't absorb um, omegas, so I had to take twice as many. And I had to test my way in, so I had just a, a mid-range level because I was taking just a you know one thousand IU's of a, a fish oil every day. It turns out I was still in the very low category, and that's just you know that's actually setting the stage for pretty serious health consequences down the line. So I can't emphasize enough that food and look, there, science knows what you eat, how much you exercise. And how you sleep determines your health and it can elongate your life and your health span. You know, not necessarily, you don't want to live long if you're sick. I mean, it's the worst thing possible. You want to live healthy as long as possible. And that's where, that's where our heart comes in. I know I sound like a commercial. I'm really passionate about it. What you're hearing is passion. Um, And, and I know, I mean, eating right changes your life. Look. I'm just going to give you one more story, and it's sort of a sad story. But um, my father died during COVID, not a COVID. He died of obesity-related illnesses, and he had metabolic issues. Um, Everyone on the floor in his hospice, the doctor told me everyone, was having exact same issue on that floor. Some were as young as 53 years old, and they were all dying from a preventable illness called a metabolic disorder and it's all about the food you eat so and and honestly these are practical changes we're not saying go on a diet don't eat this it's like shift your diet to eat things that have the right nutrients in it and by the way you probably will lose weight because you're eating what your body needs but it's just healthy food every recipe we have over five thousand recipes they're all healthy to begin with. And then once you go through either the basic foundational level or the other test, you're going to know which ones are the best for you. And then you can use that day in and day out. It's simple changes too.
2: You do sound like a commercial, Julie, but I don't stop you because it's interesting and good information. So it's working. It's so so important. Okay. Tell me the entrepreneurial history of Ahara so we can learn from a professional how to do it right. So I assume you have a little bit of pocket change from the real real and a little bit of experience and such. I do. So walk us through the birthing of Ahara, please. Entrepreneurial history lesson.
1: So look, it does help to have a have investors that experienced success with you <laughs> in the first round. Um, the real world was much harder to get funded than this one. So I started talking to some of my early investors um, in the real real about Ahara about, I would say it was August of 2022. I started talking to them about the idea the, where we're going with it, why it was needed in the market and approach. And I had left the real, real in July. We spent some time, we did some, um, we, it was a collaboration with our largest investor, had several meetings. And then I pitched her, um, it's female investor, Dana Settle at Graycroft. Then I pitched her team and they absolutely put in the first level of seed funding then two other and earliest stage investors in the real, real followed on. And so the rest of the, and I put money in the company also. Um, and, um, and then other small investors came along. But I would say the first key is I did have a track record. So that helped. It was also, they made money with me. And to be honest, we like working together. So it's an investor group that I, has integrity. Um, our values are aligned, Um, their experience is great, Um, they're always added value, and all those things are important, and and my world is venture capital, you know, and I've always raised money from D.C. There's a lot of ways to raise money and be a great entrepreneur. Um, Can I just so, and anyway, and then we were off and running, and we you know started strategically hiring the team and went into an open beta period um, in the August time frame. We now have a couple thousand people that have run through the product, and we're refining it, and uh, the paywall gate is going to go back up, even for the foundational program, and where we found interest and the uh, corporations, there isn't a great nutritional program in the benefits package. So, companies are very interested in adding in the foundational level of Ahara for their employees, insurance agencies, and concierge yeah, doctors. I love
2: this. It'll bring the rates down because you'll be a healthier population.
1: Well, in theory, yes. And, you know, if people follow it, like I said, it's easy. They're really just healthy recipes. And then the, um, And healthy lifestyle changes. Um, When I say lifestyle, things like you need to eat more nuts and seeds. Well, how do you do that? And then we just give you easy ways to just incorporate a few nuts and seeds into your diet and ask snacks. This is not a hard thing to go through. And then lastly, concierge doctors are starting to refer their um, patients to us because we do have a concierge level, which is a year of eating healthy along with a year of testing and nutritional consultation. So that one's a lot more expensive, but that is mapping to the concierge doctor. So that's how we found our footing. But I have to say, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you're out and about, you do tend to meet other entrepreneurs. And one of my favorite stories is um, I live in Los Angeles and I met an entrepreneur who started her business by sitting, and she's a jewelry designer, and she started her business by just sitting in a Starbucks and making jewelry and selling jewelry from a Starbucks. Oh. That was her That was her platform. Yeah. People would see what she was doing. And, what, and one woman said, do you just make jewelry and sell it in Starbucks? She goes, yes. <laughs> She's like, okay. So she developed a clientele and a following. And then this is the craziest thing. This is such a fun story. Then she would go on game shows to win money to help finance her business. And it worked. It worked. Now, that is, you know what that is? That is scrappy, crazy, good things. And now she has a semi, you know, she has a successful jewelry business. So you can't you can't make up there's so many ways to enter the market and do what you really are passionate about as an entrepreneur. The BC world is odd, it's hard to maneuver, but it's also awesome if you're working with the right partners because you can do things that have never been done before and they understand that and they'll work with they understand entrepreneurs and they become the good ones become your partner. To success, and it's a strong collaboration. It's not a hierarchical arrangement, it is a collaborative relationship toward building the successful company. Those are the best VCs.
2: Well, stereotypically, Julie, we like to bash the VCs here on this show. You're probably the only Uh guest in the last year, or two, or three, or five. That's defended the VCs, um, but we'll we'll let it slip and let it pass because we like you. But uh, so
1: you you can't. I mean, you know, uh, it's really finding the right one. There are some really great ones out there. Now, don't ask me about PE guys because that's another story. They are tend to be value extractors, but luckily, I haven't. I've had limited experience with them.
2: Well. Uh, Your stories are amazing, nevertheless. What's the advice you would give to a 25-year-old, no-track-record female entrepreneur who wants funding?
1: Oh, you know what? That is a great thing to to ask me. So, first of all, most female entrepreneurs I meet um, keep thinking they have more to learn, and they don't want to take a risk, all right? So, that is not going to happen. I mean, they have to think big. They have to probably think bigger than they've ever done before. A lot of them, I talk to them regularly and they're thinking of a feature. They feel like they they have more to learn. The truth is they have to put that aside, think big. And then there are lots of organizations they can reach out to. And honestly, I would just look for, here's what you do. You go to, you look on all the venture capital world, you look for ones that have funded a business in the category, and I think it's really important. Like if it's a business to consumer business, they want they're interested in pitching. Go to venture capitalists that have recently funded a business to consumer business. If it's a business to business to consumer, go because they'll go in segments. If it's a healthcare business, don't pitch someone that doesn't do healthcare. So that's number 1. So go do your homework. Don't pitch blindly because you you can actually do damage by to yourself and your business by going in and not doing your homework in the first thing. Secondly, when you you will get a meeting if it's a good concept, you absolutely will get a meeting. When you get that meeting, listen if you're lucky and I would say most of them. I'm going to put 60% at least venture capitalists are going to give you good advice even if they don't invest so listen to that advice if a venture capitalist tells you come back and see them when you do x y and z that is a no so you also have to assume that okay they gave me a no they don't really want to see you they're assuming they're just giving you some crazy goal to make so don't waste your time with them Later on, if your concept is great and it's turned into a business, they will find you. Believe me, they will find you and want to be part of it. And then I would say come in with a polished pitch. There's all kinds of organizations that will help you polish your pitch, there's a lot of resources online. Polish your pitch, listen to their feedback, and just keep going. And you're going to get a lot more no's than yeses, that's okay. You know, at some point you'll find, your, you'll find your partner in the VC world if it's a viable idea because they do want to deploy money for success. Um, and then let's say you do have a term sheet, then that's when you need a good lawyer. And the venture capital world has lawyers that are really important um, and, that, and that give standardized term sheets. And if it's not standardized, don't sign it. Anyway, that's a lot. I know that's a lot, but I'm going to stop right there and just say, just also make it happen. Remember, ideas aren't really anything. It's execution. So just make it happen.
2: Amazing advice, Julie. We're out of time. How do we find out more? Follow online, all of that.
1: Go up to com and um, you're going to take the health survey. You will come out of it um, having some really good tools to help you get healthy and stay healthy.
2: Fantastic. Julie, amazing story. Thank you so much. We'd love to have you back and hear some more. We didn't even talk about the real, real. We'd love to have you back. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks so much.
2: We will be right back we are back. And again, thank you so very much for being with us. I am very excited to introduce my next guest. Please welcome Dan Whaley to the show. Boy, has he had an interesting career. If you've ever bought a ticket online and gone on an airplane, you probably have contributed to dan's porsche fund he started a company back way in the 90s called get there which was one of the first SaaS companies that was eventually went public and was sold to saber with nearly 600 processing uh, employees while processing approximately 50 percent of the travel transacted online dan walked away with nine trillion dollars from that transaction and since then he's gone on to become a very, uh, active entrepreneur. He started another company, uh, I lost called, oh, where, where, where did it go? Sauce labs. And that has led to the company we're going to talk about today. Hypothesis. It is an interesting, uh, opportunity, a platform where you can go and contribute to any content out there. I think Dan, welcome. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Nice to meet you. By the
0: way, I, I was I was early and and instrumental at Sauce, but that, I did not start Sauce Labs. And if uh, if John Dunham, the founder of Sauce, is listening today, I just want to make sure he heard that. So um, I've I've been involved in lots of stuff, but that uh, I was not the founder of that company.
2: I'm sorry, we're not that particular here. You know. Okay. You, you, you're <laughs> a founder if you were within the first ten. Employees. Yeah. That's close enough that, by our standards. So,
0: I appreciate it. Yeah. Sounds good.
2: Yeah. As I noted, you walked away with $9 trillion, Dan. You can tell we're not 100% fact based here.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it was a wild ride spending all, all 9 trillion of those dollars. Let me tell you. It was, and you gave uh, it
2: all to the Republican Party, I understand.
0: <laughs> yeah. And look how well they're doing.
2: <laughs> all right. Tell us about. Hypothesis am I right? You can comment on any content
0: Hypothesis is a is a yes, it's a super old idea, which is that we should all that the ability to collaborate, to have conversation over anything you come into context with contact with um, should should be uh, a capability um, without all of the negative downsides of kind of what we see in social media today, but more like the upside of the web itself. Um, in which we can all publish web pages and uh, and people can visit
2: them all right. so give me a, an a, an example. I don't have a lack of opportunity to comment. I don't think
0: you actually do. So if you come to a random page on the web or a PDF uh, that uh, you know, like a bill in Congress or something, you can't see the layers of thinking of other people on, tech, on top of that document. Um, you, there might be a Reddit post somewhere at a distance from that thing or maybe a tweet about it. But um, when you're there on the thing itself, you actually can't uh, have a surprising lack of access to, uh, to perspectives.
2: All right, so that's a great example. I'm reading a bill that my state legislature is thinking of passing and I want to make a comment, walk Mm -hmm. me through what happens and then who would stumble across that and how would I stumble across someone else's? So keep going.
0: Right. Yeah. So what we did is worked to bring this ability through the web standard process. It's kind of like having Google docs on every page. So that's now a standard. And what we're doing is bringing that capability to you as an open, platform everywhere so it's kind of like the early days of the web Uh, back then the web was you know when it first came out the web was a really cool idea it was open it's a standard anybody can make one but there were very few web pages so um the we're kind of in the boot up phase of this the the beginning Um, you can come to our website of course we have an implementation of this but Um, It's also coming to Chrome natively to the browser. But basically, you'd be able to subscribe, discover, and subscribe to different uh, communities, different perspectives. And then when you're on the web, you'd be able to discover when those communities are talking about the thing that you're in. If you're familiar with Reddit and their notion of there are a million subreddits of all these different kinds of... Um, different communities, different interest groups. Um, it's like a world with a billion subreddits. Um, and But be, being able to discover those natively inside the browser when you're out on the web, wherever you are. The problem with Reddit is it only works at reddit.com. It's not with you wherever you go.
2: Right. So this sounds like it is, and I love Reddit, by the way. Uh, there's some great, groups there it sounds so like a, good ones and an some interactive bad a reddit that's pop-up reddit
0: kind of a pop-up reddit wherever you are yes okay
2: well that sounds like a great idea i love that idea and how do you make money from that
0: so we are we we provide services we're what's called a SaaS business it's kind of like wordpress uh wordpress makes Uh, open source software that runs half of all pages on the web. And they also um, provide a service running that software for people for a substantially smaller group of those pages. But that turns out to be a really good business. We make open software that powers conversations everywhere over the web. And we make a business providing the service behind that for a smaller group of those those con-
2: communities, and what would the upgrade look like? So, what extra features would I get?
0: Well, at, in schools where we sell now, we integrate into learning management systems, which <laughs> happened since you and I were in school. But now, every school in the world, this, the the students all learn through these online systems. And we plug into those and let students collaborate over all their texts. So that's one upgrade that we provide in an educational context. We also provide these in research context. uh, And now we're moving to provide them in business context. All right. So would
2: it sit on top of Slack, then in a business context?
0: An integration on top of Slack is one of the things that we're looking into, but most, uh, the most common use case would not be on, on top of another business platform you're using, but on top of another page that you're on. If you're a researcher at Pfizer and you're looking at a new piece of research that just came out, you'd be able to collaborate with your colleagues, with other peers in the field, on top, on top of that article, wherever that article was published, um, and whether it was uh, you're viewing it as PDF or as an HTML page, so there's a it, the power of this new paradigm is in its ubiquity, um, the fact that it works everywhere over all kinds of content as a standard.
2: Okay, that makes sense. And switching gears a little bit. Dan, tell us the entrepreneurial history. So, how did you get the idea for this? You were obviously doing other things and very uh had the ability, the financial wherewithal and reputation to do anything you wanted. What led you down this path? What were the first steps you took? Get us sort of up to speed on the building of the business prior to say launch date. <coughs>
0: What I experienced, like many of us, is that when I was reading news or reading information online, I had no idea, no sense of whether what I was reading line by line was accurate or not. And this was in particular when I was working you know, in the climate field, um, and you know there was a lot of shall we say differing point of views about um, the facts, the circumstances, the urgency and so forth uh, in that area. And, you know, you would see a lot of different points of view. And, you know, I would say, well, you know, I would see something mentioned and I would kind of think to myself, well, how how do I know whether that's the case or not? And how do other people how can other people know that? And a lot of people uh, in my area at the time were saying we should, you know, create another climate news service. You know that would get the facts right. And I thought to myself, well, that's never going to work because you can't out megaphone megaphones. You can't. You can't. You know, you in a, especially with a niche, you know, kind of a area like that. Um, you've got to solve the problem at a larger scale in a more systemic way. Uh, and so that led me on a journey, actually, that many people had been on before, thinking about the, uh, this kind of basic concept of being able to uh, have a conversation over anything. And it turns out this idea is very old. It goes back decades, even before the actual formation of the web itself. Um, folks like Marc Andresen, the, the creator of the first web browser... Had this idea. He built it as a feature in temporarily, and then kind of turned it off. Tim Berners Lee, the guy who created the first web page, CERN, uh, had this idea. Um, but there were some issues getting it off the ground. Um, it's obvious but challenging. Uh, and so, what we did is kind of work from first principles to solve those challenging bits and pieces, and uh, so that we can all have this.
2: And you did a lot of the coding yourself? You're a coder. Uh, I I core, was a coder you? a long time ago.
0: I wrote uh, my first company. I wrote all the code uh, for t- several years. Um, but this company, um, you know, uh, my role is more product and leadership. Uh, so those, that's what I focus on now.
2: Okay. And so... How many employees did you have when you launched? One, me. Okay. And <laughs> but how when you say first, launched, well, yeah. Uh, how we, do you define launched? Was that a sale where you got a upgrade client, or just getting the what, uh, minimum viable out? What happened?
0: Well, there's there's probably three different definitions of launched. One is when you fully commit to an idea.
2: That's um, the that second no is- launch. By this, <laughs> on this show, I'll tell you that. Okay. Nate.
0: Cause I'm very good. committed I, to
2: like 19 different women and only married. <laughs> no, no.
0: Um, uh, that sounds like a whole episode in and of itself. Um, I would say when we, when we launched, we had about, uh, six people, I think.
2: Okay. And first sale, first
0: income, first sale, first income, uh, we had 15
2: all right, and had that customer come about? What kind of customer was that? so we
0: we launched we put a service out um, to allow people to you know comment on web pages, right, using this new kind of approach, this new technology, after we had gone through the standards process. And some of the first users that started showing up and using it were, students and teachers inside classrooms and they were using this to be able to um, work on their course the classroom material for the course um, and to have us essentially a very a live classroom discussion a private one over um, over all the material that they were using in a way that they couldn't do with the tools that they had and they said this is really great we can use this using your free tool but until it's inside the learning management system inside a canvas or a blackboard if your if your uh listeners are familiar with those systems which is the, which are these you know learning management systems that all students use today, then it's not going to really work for us um, you know it won't be native to our experience uh, and so we begin to build the kind of additional shim the additional uh uh, code and systems that would allow us to to I- integrate with all these learning management systems. And we, you know, because we asked them, if we do this, would you pay for it? Because what we were offering at the time was a fully free freemium service. And they said, they said, yes, and we'll introduce you to the people at our schools who will cut the check. Um, and so our first uh, customer uh, was, uh, was a, an institution. Um, I think it was our very first customer might've been, uh, CSU channel islands, um, who cut the first check.
2: All right. Very interesting. And as you grow now, is it more and more of the academic space, the research space, or is it into other spaces? Which way is the the path right now?
0: Well, as these things go, it's a series of waves. So the biggest wave right now for us is the educational space. A growing area for us is in research, where we're starting to add customers. Um, But the next wave is probably most definitely in the enterprise space. uh, Beyond that.
2: All right. So when will I be able to implement it on my website? Uh, We run the world's largest gizzard. Website for (laughs) Gizzard retail, but also Gizzard information and, you know, Gizzardology as we like to call it. Um,
0: Well, you could do it right now. Actually using the free version of our tool can be implemented on any website.
2: All right. That's what I wanted to hear. And how hard would it be to make it work? How hard is the plugin? Say it's a WordPress site.
0: Five minutes. We have a WordPress plugin.
2: Wow. And so then your site would be, would it have an icon on it? Or how does it, how does it interface the customer and get the consumer to actually want to click or get on it?
0: Yeah. You'd be, there's a little, uh, sidebar that comes out, uh, but uh, you know, you can essentially can highlight and comment on any sentence. Um, and we give you little badges that you can put on your website to let people know that it's there to let people know what the conversation, how the conversation's going. How many other people have you know been having a conversation, how many different communities or groups have commented here, etc?
2: Very interesting Well, this would be useful, so for so many of our small business lists or, or you know if they have a bracelet website or an education site or a site about their book or whatever, this would be a great way to make the site more playful and interactive, does it increase engagement? What does the engagement look like?
0: It does increase engagement dramatically. Um, you know, when we're implemented, uh, for instance, in classrooms, it drives um, engagement up by many hundreds, uh, many, many multiples. Um Uh, and that's really the number one people, why people, the reason why people use it, uh, because it's, uh, for students, their, their level of comprehension, their level of engagement and so forth goes up, you know, just exponentially. I mean, students, (laughs) as you may remember from when you were in school, um, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, a lot of times didn't crack the book, um, before class, um, and uh you know this really helps change that equation because when it's social and when other people are there with you it makes it a lot easier and that goes for edit the classroom it goes for the research field it goes for uh life in general um the social engagement is what drives the universe really
2: And what do you think it would do to a retail site? If you already have comments, do you eliminate the comments? How does it interact in that world?
0: Uh, I mean, that depends. It depends on kind of what's there. Um, You know, we see comment, the traditional way that comments were always implemented as almost a complete failure. Um, There's basically three major problems with the way comments have been implemented so far today. Number one, they tip, they usually only work on your site. So there's a group of people um, that want to comment and they're going to comment on your site. Now, if you've got a really interesting uh, product or service or content, then there may be a bunch of comments on your site. And I'm not knocking the fact that we have them and they sometimes they work. But the reason why they often don't work at scale is because the implementation is specific to the particular page. So you're not part of a larger community um, that's looking across pages or across many examples of the things that you're looking at. It's really just a kind of a limited thing that only works in one place. Um, The second reason is because they're poorly managed and poorly screened for, for trolls and spam and all the kind of negative things that we see online. Um, and um, what's out there has so far has been just, um, you know, it's kind of a travesty really, honestly, in terms of uh, this is not t- rocket science to get better signal to noise ratio. It's just that it hasn't been well implemented. Um, so, uh, and then the the third, you know, reason is that, um, uh, is just the feature set and the capabilities of those platforms have been uh, very simple. So we're trying to improve on all three.
2: Excellent. Very well said. And that's a great description of the comments. Uh, fascinating. Dan, I heard you were willing to play our game, The Quick 10. Let's do it. I am required by state law. By your oh governor handsome to <laughs> find out if you are currently sober. We, not, we have to know if you're sober.
0: I, do, uh, do I have to answer truthfully?
2: Uh, well, we actually encourage you to not be sober, to be honest. <laughs> you know, if we, if you're not sober, well, if you're, if you're sober, we're going to give you the opportunity to pause and change that.
0: So. <laughs> okay. Well,
2: let's go. Okay. Do you want to accept the standard wager? Sure, there you. Go. I don't Number know what one, it is. your favorite creativity
0: <laughs> hack uh, I mean, I thought about this one. Um I really between businesses or i I really like to unplug. I mean, get completely lost, travel, get some perspective before you're you know stepping into something new. Um, I think for me, that's when the most important part of the creativity in the process happens is in the choosing. So for me, um, I like to, to get completely unplugged and, and give myself the time to absorb what is happening in the world around me. That's what drives my creativity. And even now on a day-to-day basis, I read about what the heck is going on around us. Um, and it's, it's about the world that we live in. That's what drives my creativity.
2: Answers need to be one sentence. <laughs> okay. Number 2. Well, favorite bootstrapping trick.
0: I call people up and ask for help. Um this is highly underrated. Number 3. Um, name
2: you, your top passions.
0: How many? Pop. My number 1 passion is ideas that transform the world. Number 2 product design. Um and I'm also a big sailor. So I really love sailing.
2: Number four, the first three steps in starting a business are. So the number one thing is you got to start with a big idea, a trans something
0: transformative that will obviously happen. Number three step, the number two step is you have to find a way to communicate it powerfully to other people. Um, you can't. You just got to. You have to put the time and energy in to get that right. And number three is you you have to find great talent. You have to find amazing people to work with you to make it happen.
2: Number five, the best way to get your first real customer is you got to talk to them. You got to find, talk to
0: people about what their biggest pain points are. You have to start with what they need, not with the idea that you're trying to cram down their throats.
2: Number six, your dreamiest technology is... Uh, this is an easy one. Annotation
0: at global scale is going to change the world.
2: Number seven, best entrepreneurial advice?
0: Uh, well, um, you're going to have to give me three here. Number one is you got to start with that really big idea that you are passionate about. Um, go big. Number two, you got to ask for help from other people, and you got to be creative about how to go about that. Number three, don't take no for an answer and don't ever give up.
2: Number eight, worst entrepreneurial mistake.
0: Uh, I started a company that totally failed, um, and I really underappreciated the role that regulation uh, played in that industry.
2: Number nine, favorite entrepreneur and why uh this is a this is an you allow
0: i mean this may be an obvious one but i started my first customer my first company across the street uh, from elon musk who became quite a good friend um and uh, there's a lot that has been said about him but i will tell you that guy has more energy and drive and passion and never give up than anybody on planet earth i have ever met um so he is definitely uh from an entrepreneurial point of view he is quite inspirational
2: number 10 favorite superhero my mom
0: yeah she's fucking amazing she's uh uh she's a uh, a, a leading uh, climatologist, uh, oceanographer, and uh, just uh, full of grace and poise, and, um, and just uh, you know, just a
2: incredible work ethic. Absolutely fantastic! All right, great answers. While we calculate your score, Dan, and find the winner, how do we find you online? Get in touch with the company. Download the app. Uh, all of that.
0: Yeah, you can find it. Uh, if you just type the word hypothesis into Google, You know, it'll take you, I think we're like the top hit or one or two top hits, take it right to our front door. You can download this and try it out yourself. Uh, you know, form groups, you know, uh, and, and um, you know, collaborate online today. Uh, and obviously if you're in a classroom or a teacher or to school or in a research field, we've got
2: more specific uh, offerings, uh, for you there. Fantastic. Dan, our team is calculating your score. I'm just sort of delaying. Oh, oh, I've been giving your score, Dan. Oh, this is so sad. You got a 94, a 94, which is an excellent score. Our <laughs> geographer, our <laughs> geographer dinged you for some reason. You have to have a 95 to win. And this is such a coincidence. <laughs> of course, uh, uh the loser we always play for a Tesla, and you accepted the standard wager. And you know Elon, so you can get us one easy. So I will look forward to a Tesla in my driveway sometime soon, Dan. Thank you. All right. Sounds good. Dan, thanks it's for being here. a real It's been a lot of fun.
0: It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having
2: me on. Uh, the pleasure was ours. We are out of time, but we come back again soon, everyone. Take care. Be safe and go make a million dollars.